for that uh, very comprehensive and informative session tonight. Uh, obviously, done a lot of research. Um, I always say I'm not a yes man. If my boss says no, I will say no as well. <laughs> no problem with that. And uh, I blame for all this the banks, the government, the superhero you mentioned, everybody, the yeah. credit societies, um, people in management. Who else did I write down here? George Bush, uh, insurance companies. You blame everyone. That's right, so, absolutely right. But, but it really is, is a, a dilemma that we've all got. And uh, for you to talk to us tonight about your research has been really good. Um, gives us more knowledge on how we can understand the situation better and maybe maybe make a difference down the track. Um, Look, I know it's getting on in time. I do want to open the floor for a couple of questions. Uh, and uh, I'll start off with, um, and, and we want some quick responses too, Rick, if you don't mind. Um, had they saved the Lehman Brothers, would this not have been as bad as it actually turned out to be? Um, and uh, secondly, uh, Tabcor are selling um, 7.25 debentures to you at the moment. <laughs> are they a good investment or would you sort of do the <laughs> um, I, I, go by, I go by the mantra, um, never accept advice from anybody when you're on the golf course. So for the same reason, I never give advice about financial investments because inevitably someone's going to get something wrong and I'll be in a lot of trouble if I do. So that's the second question. First question was Lehman Brothers. Lehman Brothers. Yeah, look, that's a toughie. There's arguments for and against the Lehman Brothers one. Um, the for argument, i.e. they should have gone under, is that um, by saving Lehman Brothers, which they in fact did with Bear Stearns, all they've done is save the bankers' bacon and encourage them to do this again. The classic moral hazard argument, right? So they've basically allowed these people to take on huge risks but bear none of the consequences of that risk. So clearly, as a result of the kind of chatter that was going on after the Bear Stearns bailout, the government decided to be true to its ideology in the US and say, no, 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 we really shouldn't be bailing out these bankers. We'll let Lehman Brothers go to the wall. Unfortunately, what happened was, because Lehman Brothers was so big, and when people saw a big institution like that go to the wall, it created an enormous crisis of confidence. So that's, that's a whole other set of arguments around you know, um, what's happened since all of this started and what's causing it um, and what, what, um, what should we do about it. So, so it became a crisis of confidence. Um, and that then led to huge drops in the share market or whatever, which eventually spooked the politicians to basically say, OK, you know, we can't cope with this anymore, we're just going to save everybody. Um, if they'd saved Lehman Brothers, would it have made a difference? Um, in my view, it probably would have just delayed the inevitable. Um, you, can, you can only cover up a major crisis for so long by doing bailouts. In my view, you know, the roosters would have come home to roost, or the chickens would have come home to roost eventually anyway, and as I said, Lehman Brothers would simply have delayed it all. Um, and in fact, um, there's an argument, and I, I tend to subscribe to it, that in fact what's going on right now is exactly that. We're just delaying the inevitable, um, that, that things are going to get a lot worse before they get any better. Okay. Yes? In, in five years' time, yes. which country is going to be the winner and which country is going to be the loser out of this? Take your pick. I have no idea what's going to be happening in five years' time. I hope I'm still alive is all. No, look, uh, out of all of this, hard to say. Um, Clearly, um, 
if I, I don't want to put a time horizon on this, but clearly the US is in trouble and will be for some time to come. Uh, one of the things that's lurking uh, as, a, as a future problem for the US is the fact that a bit like the UK, in fact very much like the UK, the way they're trying to manage this crisis at the moment is by printing money. So basically, they're just turned on the printing presses and are just going, we need lots of money, so we'll just start printing it. Okay. Whilst the other economies around the world, most notably China, are happy to pay for the fact that the US is printing money by buying these treasury bonds from them, the system will kind of work. My question is, how long will it last? Okay. So the US is in trouble. Whatever, what typically happens after you print a lot of money for a significant period of time is you have inflation, and the US dollar will eventually drop in value quite substantially. Um, uh, that's not happening at the moment for all sorts of structural reasons. The US is banking on the fact, sorry for the pun, that as the reserve currency, they're kind of special and they won't suffer the consequences that other countries will if they were doing the same thing. Um, but in my view, the US is going to get a lot worse before it gets significantly better. Now, relatively speaking, um, does that mean that someone like China or Australia or whomever is going to win? I don't know that you can really say it's winners or losers because if the US is in trouble, the rest of us are going to feel some pain in any case. But my view is, is that this is not a uh, 87, 91, 97 kind of recession where we sort of go down for a year and a bit, maybe two, and then everything kind of looks rosy again. My view is that this is going to be, we're going to be at the very least bumping along the bottom of this recession for quite some time to come. Exactly how long, I don't know. But, but don't take my word for it. I'm, no. No, yes. Could that be interpreted as the end of the end of capitalism, like, you know, after communism, so-called? Brothers unite, yes. Yeah. No, um, comrades. Um, there will be a need for a, no, you know, sort no. of No, this, this, this isn't... This isn't um, this isn't an indictment of capitalism per se. What this is, this is, um, this is an indictment of how uh, a couple of major economies, most notably the UK and the US, um, didn't manage their capitalism well enough to avoid the inevitable problems that you get with unregulated business activity. The reason that the rest of us are suffering is because we live in a globalised world. Right? You know, 30 years ago, if this had happened, the US would be in recession and the rest of us would kind of be, you know, sort of okay. You know, certainly much better off than we are now. We wouldn't have Finland going bankrupt, for example. But because this is a global phenomenon, because money whizzes around the world at this incredible pace, trillions of dollars every second, etc., etc., Countries like Finland went under, the UK is in much deeper trouble than it otherwise would have been, et cetera, et cetera. Right? And, and, it's, and that's why I picked on it as a globalisation case study, because it's, 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 you know, money's the perfect product. It weighs nothing, it costs nothing to transport and to transact. It is the perfect global product to, to, to trade. But because it is, and because it has become so um, globalised as a commodity, money, um, when the system breaks down, everybody suffers. But no, no, capitalism's, I mean, capitalism isn't dependent on a few banks. Capitalism is people doing trades, people bartering, people um, uh, trying to meet each other's needs. That's what capitalism is. I mean, all the, um, 
some private sector and the financial institutions are now using government money and still against the policies and regulations they how to use that money is actually fueling that argument. So that means that you're going to have a, from now on, um, you're not going to be able to see a pure capitalism, but you're going to be see some compromised version of capitalism towards the communism or socialism kind of thing. So that would be a third version of the, the two combined. Well, see, this is, this is one of the risks, and this is why another reason why I did this lecture. One of the risks that we have is, is that the, because governments are essentially um, in control of what happens, because governments are the only institution that have the resources to do anything about the, the troubles that we're all facing, um, governments are, are expected to come up with a solution. You can't come up with a solution until you're clear about what the cause was. Sure. And no one's clear about the cause, right? as, as I tried to demonstrate. There isn't a clear cause, right? You can't, and you can't legislate against people's stupidity, and you can't legislate against people's greed, right? So my concern is, is that governments actually make the wrong regulatory decision. There will be an enormous amount of pressure to regulate more um, from the populace, particularly in the United States and the UK. The question is, will we actually get um, a better result with more regulation? We will if the regulation is good quality regulation and targets the right things. We won't if, we, if, if they target the wrong things. Right? And so if they target the wrong things, we'll get you know, constraints in the economy that we really can't afford um, and then eventually they'll have to be undone and we'll get other crises fueled by other mistakes that will eventually happen. Um, what, I'm, what I'm keen to explore as, as someone who's um, interested in, in economics um, and economics as a way of explaining human behaviour is that we explore different economic models. Sure. Um, um, and I'd like to see governments and the policymakers using different economic models than the efficient markets hypothesis as a way of informing them about how to make better economic laws uh, about regulating the economy. Using some of the stuff from behavioural economics, for example, about how people actually behave when it comes to investing as opposed to what the purest theories say that they do when it comes to investing. Rick, are there any factors emerging in that line? Uh, for example, traditionally the Americans have always, uh, governments have intervened by pumping a lot of money into saving either their banking sector or yeah. um, what we're currently seeing with economic uh, stimulus type payments even in Australia. Are they relevant at the moment, putting politics aside, and uh, will they address some of those sort of factors? Look, I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not a, a policy economist. Uh, I don't think I'm even a macroeconomist, um, but uh, it, it, it's really a question of, um, it's the same question as do you, do you save laymen or do you let it go under, right? Do you pump money to the economy as a way of trying to soften the blow, um, theoretically at least, um, by softening the blow, by keeping money flowing through the economy, um, or do you just let um, the economy take its own course and, and, and people eventually um, suffering as a result. Now, people are going to suffer. The governments around the world have basically decided that the way in which we can soften that suffering is by <coughs> keeping our economies as liquid as we possibly can. Um, whether that ultimately works is, remains to be seen. Whether, in fact, it, would, it will end up being uh, less worse than if we didn't have these stimuli, no one is ever going to be able to show because you can never sort of say, well, if we didn't do this, this would have happened, right? We've, we've done it, we're going to live with the consequences. 
Um, you know, um, the numbers uh, will take some time to come through in terms of whether the stimuli, stimulus packages in Australia are having any substantive effect. Um, the major problem with um, the stimulus packages, both here and in the US, sorry, two major problems. One is um, the best way to spend that money is on infrastructure. Unfortunately, infrastructure has very, very long lead times. You can't just suddenly open up your checkbook and say, right, I'm now going to build bridges and roads and telecommunications infrastructure and we're going to start spending tomorrow. The lead times are enormous. So even, even with the best will in the world, those the, the genuine effects of those stimulus packages may not actually be seen in the economy for quite some time to come. Now, as I say, with all the best intentions in the world, it still may be really, really hard to get the effect that you really want because of those long lead times. Um, the second problem with the stimulus packages is, and you can understand this from, from a political point of view, is, is that in the United States, for example, they've put in the, the Buy America policy within their stimulus packages. So if you're a, if you're a bank and you accept money from, from the US government um, uh, in order to prop you up, you're obliged to be preferential to Americans in lending that money out. It makes an enormous amount of sense. Why would you give taxpayers money to banks to go and lend to other countries? problem is, is that's potentially the thin end of the wedge of a new round of protectionism, which fortunately most of the governments, particularly because it was discussed at the G20 meeting in, in April, uh, earlier this month, or was it last month, earlier this month, um, are all aware of this. It doesn't mean that they won't do it. It just means that they're all aware that it's, that it's a genuine risk. So when you start spending lots of money um, uh, in a short space of time and the capacity of the economy to soak up that money um, isn't necessarily equal to the task, you're going to get distortions. And it's just a matter of whether the distortions are manageable or not. One of the distortions is, in fact, this sort of inevitable protectionism that arises. We need to avoid that as much as we possibly can. We want to finish one more question. I think Barbara, you had I was going to ask about protectionism. <laughs> All right, well, I'll show Rick we around for a little bit longer if you want to ask questions after the session. Uh, there's a little bit of wine left down there. I think Linda's uh, capable of provided for us tonight. Um, I just want to thank everyone again for coming tonight. Thank Linda and the GSB for supporting the alumni. Thank you, thanks again for the drinks and nibblies. Uh, also, we have some visiting uh, students from China, um, Dong Guan students. Uh, thanks for coming along, guys, and uh, uh, visiting uh, uh, scholar uh, to the GSB as well. So thanks and uh, welcome, and hope you enjoyed tonight. Yeah. Um, uh, I've also always got to give a plug for the next session. Uh, we've got uh, Dr. Brett, um, uh, sorry, Brett Scarlett, who's here tonight, uh, presenting next month on the 20th of May on taming the IT Hydra uh, strategy and tactics. So if you're an IT person, that'll be very interesting and it'll um, be, be good to hear uh, uh, Brett's uh, view on how we can tame the Hydra. So thanks for uh, being involved, Brett. Um, apart from that, thanks again, Rick. And uh, to the vodcast guys down the end, uh, again, um, uh, Rod and Phil, thanks for coming along, guys. Take a picture of yourselves uh, as you walk in the app. And uh, we look forward to getting the vodcast uh, for, for distribution, both locally and uh, to the other campuses as well. So thanks to you guys, and uh, stay around if you want to. Just to let me know, I'm available to give this talk at birthday parties, weddings, <laughs> children's functions, anything that you think might be useful.